0: Well, happy Family Day weekend. How many of you are glad to see the snow making a hasty retreat? Yeah? Go back to Alberta. That was enough snow for I grew up in the interior. I got my lifetime quota of snow. All you other people who love it, there's a mountain that you can go to. We don't need it here. Not at all. Well, uh, as it's Family Day... Uh, it's a great opportunity to talk about family and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I don't know if you've ever heard of Awkward Family Photos. It's an Instagram account. It's also uh, online and different things like that. So I thought that this morning to help us, that we would take a moment and look back at some styles from yesteryear of family photos. And so, I, Jordan, can you put up the first one, please? Okay. Look at that. Like, there's perm city. I. How many of you had a perm if you're a guy in the 90s? I did. It was, that's when I had more hair. But this is coming back again. That tie-dye, the big beard. If the perm comes back, Jesus is too. Okay, next one. Look at that. Party on the front. What's that? Biz- business on the front, party on the back. Boom. Look at that little kid. Somewhere. Uh, an angel lost its wings. Okay. Another next one. This is an an epic wedding photo. This is the girl got the photo for her dad. Wow. I never got one like that when my daughter got married. It's all It's like that's a terrible photo. Next one. Who thought that was a good idea? Oh, we'll get some mushrooms and we'll take a picture of our three boys in tuxedos in front of some mushrooms. I'm not sure. Next one. Really happy to be with grandma and granddad. This is apparently a photo as they're preparing to celebrate grandma and granddad's 50th wedding anniversary. Actually kind of looks like Daniel, that kid, doesn't it? Anybody else see that? Those eyes. Oh, my goodness. Next one. Whoa. Whoa. Look at that. Come on. Those of you that don't know, that is me and my bride. 1992, July 11th. Out in the foyer right there. Those of you that make fun of my uh, mullet. Today's man bun was the 80s mullet. And you're going to look back one day and go, what was I thinking to do that man bun thing? How many of you can agree with me on that? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have a We will have a shearing ceremony after the service. But come on, look at that. Wow. I had braces. I had zits. I had a terrible mustache. And somehow God blinded the eyes of that beautiful woman (laughs) just for a, a moment. just So she said yes. But look at the poofiness. Those colors are coming back again. That's about 25 pounds ago too, but we'll leave that. All right, that was nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, but it was fun. All right, you can please, Jordan, come on. <laughs> Once he's back there in control. I love Sunday. I love Sunday services, and we're in a series called 167, and I need to talk a little bit about that because some of you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, and so I just want to give context for that, but... Uh, Sunday is awesome. It's so important that we can gather and worship together. We celebrate together. We have fun together. We worship. Uh, We have the word. We pray. We do all those things. And it's absolutely fantastic. But what we do in here is only part of the story. I don't know if you know this, but every week there's 168 hours in the week. 168. But Some of them you sleep, some of you sleep a lot of them, some of them you sleep hardly at all, but there's 167 other hours, give or take, more than what you spend in here. 167 other hours that are incredibly important. It's where you go through life, it's where you have difficulties, it's where you celebrate, it's where you have really great things happening, it's where you have struggles, it's in the, other 167 hours of your week. Because today, in these moments, you can put on the look and you can look good and smile. You can actually even have a, a great time, but there's more to what's in our life than just the one hour here. There's 167 hours beyond there. And it's in those 167 hours that Jesus wants to use you. Jesus wants to impact you. Jesus wants to touch you in a powerful, powerful way. And too often and too much. There's a separation between who we are in here and who we are out there as followers of Jesus. And the world looks at that. But there's a scripture because you're needed in all the 167 hours beyond Sunday. It all matters. Ephesians 1 and 23 says this, that the church you see is not peripheral to the world. But the world is peripheral to the church. And so some of us believe in our thought process, if you're a follower of Jesus, that church is just one of the things you do. I have my work world, I have my family world, I have my recreation world, and I have my church world. And everything kind of flows together. But in the Bible, and as a follower of Jesus, what the Bible actually says is that the church is not peripheral to the world it's not just in the mix the church is at the center of it all and everything else else is meant to revolve around church now church don't let yourself be mistaken church is not a scheduled time. Church is not a location. Church is people. And so in other words, when Jesus says that church is at the center of everything that's happening in the world, his intent that is you and I are to influence everything around us so that not just this one hour, but in every other hour of our life in some dimension, we're meant to impact it in a powerful, powerful way. 167 hours. It's not a service we attend. It's who we are. And it goes on to say in that same verse in Ephesians 1 that the church is Christ's body in whom he speaks and through Him, through whom he speaks and acts. And so the, the church sees or the world sees Jesus today when his followers speak and act. And that's sometimes, wow, what, what, a, what a challenge. I'm not a guy who likes bumper stickers. And especially I don't put one on that has a fish or says I'm a follower of Jesus. Because sometimes in my hours in my car, I'm not the best follower of Jesus. Don't look at me like that. I see some of you driving. I've seen some of you. But in reality, in every area of our life that we're to reflect and speak and represent Jesus in the 167 hours beyond here. Every place that we walk, it all matters. Every team that you're on, it matters. Every online gaming group that you're in, it matters. Every uh, workplace that you're in, it matters. All 167 hours. Now, don't play 167 hours of video game this week. I don't know. Some of you are really liking that, but... Every rugby game that you attend, it matters. Every time you're parenting your children, it matters. Every business deal you do, it matters. It all counts. It all is important. Every workplace that you swing a hammer at, every truck, every time that you drive a truck down the road for your work, in whatever place you are. What's in here has to get there. The hour here has to impact the 167 out there because that's how the world looks different. That's how a city is changed. That's how Vancouver looks different because how many of you know there's things that need change in our city? It's not okay that almost three people a day die of overdose in our city. It's not okay that gangbangers are shooting each other up in our city. It's not okay that still families are blowing apart through uh, divorce and and all kinds of stuff. And there's thing after thing after thing that go on. And Jesus wants to invade the 167 and take the church out of a place of attendance into a place of activation. What's in here has to get there. I don't know, uh, you probably have heard if you've been around a little bit that I grew up in a small place called Nicaspa. What you might not know is that 's actually the big place of 1500 that I moved to from the small place of Burton, which was about three hundred people, three hundred people now it's fun growing up in a small town because you can do a lot of things and nobody knows that you're doing them because you're off in the woods somewhere you're burning something, you're building something you're like you do all kinds of stuff out in the woods you 're shooting at things and oh all, all things that none of you would ever do but I grew up also in a large family, and there's always fun things that that I can recall. Uh, We 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 were close. It had something to do that there were uh, less than nine years and six kids, so we kind of had to be close. Sometimes we were so close that until I was about five, I shared a, a bed with my younger brother. And I, I've always shared a room. People, my kids would complain, when do I get my own room? I said, listen here, I shared a room till I went to Bible college. When I went to Bible college, I shared a room. When I got married, I'm still sharing a room. <laughs> I kind of like that last one, though. Okay. <laughs> When we were growing up in that small town, there was something about it that everybody kind of knew everybody, uh, which most of the time was a good thing, but sometimes was to your disadvantage because sometimes the news of the bad thing you were doing reached home before you. And this was before the time of cell phones. This, like, somebody would be watching out a window with binoculars and would call home, your boy was over here and he did this and and he slashed that and he cut down the tree in my front yard and all kinds of stuff, little stuff like that, that would go on. But we were a close family and lots of fun would go on. Uh, I had three, I had, I have three older brothers. (laughs) (laughs) My dad always used to say to me, because my two of my older brothers in particular, uh, I won't name Paul and Rob, but two of them in particular uh, would sometimes uh, have a little fun at my expense, being I was smaller. And so, but it actually wasn't those two. It was actually my brother, Dan. But Rob also, I have to say, I'm, I'm, we're good now. Uh, Rob's repented, and so it's much, much better. I'm kidding. He would... I remember one time when, and I don't know where this is going, so we'll see, but um, one time we were, he was thumping on me with his, beating me up a little bit, probably I was lipping him off or whatever, and, and I finally said, don't do that. If you do that one more time, I'm going to break your fishing rod. <laughs> and when you're in a country, a fishing rod is like a big deal. I think he had worked all summer for it, and it was probably $26, but it was back in the 190 God time, and so... Uh, <laughs> He had bought this fishing rod from the general store, I think it was, and and so he hit me one more time, and I ran to where his fishing rod was and went like that. And I I ran like a crazy person to where my mom was because I was so brave. When I got there, my mom kind of said, well, what happened? And I explained. I told him if he hit me one more time, I was going to break his fishing rod. And she said, okay, don't hit him. And you know how that went. The fishing rod wasn't the only thing that got broken that day, I think. Yeah. Later that day, uh, recompense was made, and I repented <laughs> with wailing and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> it was fun growing up in a small town. Everybody knew each other, and, and you had lots of support, and we'd swim together and have fun together. And It was back in those days, everybody knew each other so well that in I was probably five years old. My mother would give me a note to go down to the general store, the general store, yeah, like Little House in the Prairie, you're like, how old is that guy? Like it was (laughs) not that long ago. Uh, Give me a note, dear Mr. Parkin, please give my son a 25-pack of Peter Jackson cigarettes and put it on my bill. And he would give me a pack of 25s, king-size Peter Jackson, i run home with them. Can you imagine that today? and put it on my tab, Mr. Parkin. <laughs> 25 small towns. And everybody knew each other, but things change in the world. And when we moved to Campbell River uh, in 1995, we uh, we had lived in Surrey for about eight years or seven years at that time. We moved from Surrey to Campbell River, and it was like culture shock going back because people uh, kind of knew who you were, and if they didn't, they said hi, and you'd be like, you'd be walking down the street, and someone would say hi, and you're like, what do they want? Or are they getting ready to mug me? You'd lived in Surrey for a little while. So, uh, but what we discovered even when we were there, it took a little while to get to know people. Uh, even though we were uh, young and we, there was people all around us, it took a little while until someone ventured beyond their world and invited us into their world. And by the name of Peter Hofer, and he said, will you come to the Saratoga Speedway, a little oval track down in black creek where it was the we thought it was cool it was terrible but it was cool when you live in a small place and so it was close again because people made the the willing were willing to reach out of their world into our world but i think more and more today as we've gone through the 80s and 90s and the 2000s our culture has gotten busier and busier has anybody felt that before okay And things just seem to be moving at hyperspeed in every which way. I never dreamed of a day that we'd be talking about a driverless car as a serious option. Right? Like that was the Jetsons. You're like, who's the Jetsons? Back in the 1900s when I was born, I watched the Jetsons. Like... No, okay? Like there's just things happening at such a quick, quick rate, and we're probably busier than we ever are. If you ask people how they are, they're probably either tired or they're busy and on their way to tired, rushing around from something to something, taking their kids here, taking them there. Uh, It doesn't matter what age they are. Some people tell me that once they retire, they're busier than they ever have been because their spouse has all kinds of jobs that they've been waiting for for 41 years for them to come home. We're busy sometimes, maybe a new immigrant and you come and you're working two or three jobs and you're trying to make life work and trying to do it. And it's just busy and crushing or maybe you're in shift work. And so a lot of times when other people are uh, around, you're at work in the dark, you and then we have this simple thing of broken, not simple things, but the simple reality of broken families and that causes stress and isolation and our schedules are stretched and we're facing too much. And But mostly in all of it, we are alone a lot, alone a lot more than we, we might admit in isolated in a crowd and aloneness is hurting us. We can't always quantify it, but I think we can often identify it, the aloneness. And we see it in families Uh, In his book, Bowling Alone, Robert Putnam writes that there's been a 33% decline, a third, of families eating dinner together in the last 30 years. And of those that actually still eat to get dinner together, half of them are doing it in front of TV or while somebody else is on a device of some kind at the table we see it in our neighborhoods. We often don't know the neighbor who lives beside us or around us or what their name is. We might see them come April when the rain and the wind and the snow stop. And we come out emerging from our house and say, hey, Les, you're still there. Good. And it kind of is where it's at. Eugene Cho, who's a pastor and social activist in Seattle, said, it's nearly impossible to love your neighbor if you don't love, know who your neighbor is. And herein lies the tension of our times. We live in such a connected world with limited or non-existent connection. And we see that our culture itself is changing. The Globe and Mail noted in a recent article that the 2016 census in Canada showed that for the first time in our uh, history that the number of one-person households has surpassed any other type of household. And in his book, Meals with Jesus, Tim Chester says that Friends is now just a 90s TV program or a social media number, not people whom we eat with, laugh with, or cry with. And where does all that leave us? We have to go back to Burton and live where everybody knows you? God help us. No, it's not happening. But somehow, in the midst of our culture, something has to change. Because a CBC story last year, uh, first of all, it talked about the headlines that Vancouver is rated as one of the two loneliest places in North America. The Vancouver, greater Vancouver area. It reported what we've known for a long time, that seniors uh, tend to be the loneliest. But we are now seeing a new thing that 18 to 24 year olds, any 18 to 24 year olds here, come on, 18 to 24-year-olds, I didn't say that you wish you were 18 to 24. I saw some of you. Okay, you are, at any given time, nearly one in three are often or always lonely. The time when you have the most people around you, the most freedom that you probably will ever have to do what you you like. It also pointed out that new immigrants come with much excitement as the opportunity to come and be a part of what Canada is all about come here and they, they come with so much excitement, but they find the challenges of navigating a different language as well as navigating a new culture, not only one culture, but many cultures to be incredibly isolating. And statistics and psychologists and the Bible and all agree on this thing that isolation and loneliness is destructive to your physical health, it's destructive to your mental health, it's destructive to every healthy thing that you would have and so it's a real issue in our culture but what if the church could model and show a bit better in a different way in the 167 in the 167 hours beyond here because this is awesome but there's so much more in the 167 so I'm going to turn to if you would as well to Acts chapter 2 and 38 to 37 or 47 and uh, it's a story I'll just begin reading Right here, where it says this, and Peter replied, starting at verse 38 Repent and be baptized. He's got to find it again. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for whom, for as many as the Lord will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. This, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's the one hour of a service. 3,000 were added that day. And this was one moment, if, and if you're a pastor, if you're ever to be a pastor, that's a good day. I preached, I said something, and at the end, 3,000 people are like, I'm up, I'm in, I'm signing up, I'm going for Jesus. You're like, wow, that's amazing. That's a good, good day. And it's an incredible moment where this Peter, who we talked about last week, if you wanted to listen to that, had just finished preaching an incredible message to people from literally around the world. 16 different nations or people groups were represented listening to this sermon. And in one moment, This multitude of people were gathered together and came from being a group of collection of groups to being one group of 3,000 people. And he was preaching this good news that people can be made right with God because of Jesus. No matter where you're from, no matter what cultural background, no matter what your family name, no matter what you did in the past, no matter what thing you struggle with, no matter the issue that is haunting you, that the good news of the gospel that Peter preached is that Jesus has made a way for you to be reconciled to God so that in a moment your life can begin to be changed, that one moment that forever changes the destiny of your life and your family. And and he's saying, this is good news. And, And in that moment, you can have a fresh start with God. You can be made right with God. And everything that was old, can. the Bible talks about this, can be made new again. And we have a word that we say, a brand new life, a fresh start. And then his sermon ends and makes this incredible statement. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I love this. They were counted, 3,000 people. They didn't just say some people. They said 3,000 because somebody counted them. They were counted because they mattered. It's not about numbers, but they were counted because every number has a name. And every name has a story. And every story matters to God. And today as well, the good news is that for each one of us, God knows our name, God knows our story, and we matter to God no matter where we're at in the story of our life right now. But too often we stop at this verse, 3,000 gave their lives to Jesus, they came up to an altar, they put their hand up, they did something and we say, gold star, your life is good now. And we miss the rest of the story. Individuals who made powerful, life altering decisions between them and God, where they said, We're gonna, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. I'm gonna give my life to you, Jesus. And it was incredible, and it was powerful, and it was necessary for them. But too often we stop here and stay in the one hour experience that's intended and. Intended to invade and transform the 167 other hours of our life. It's intended to make our marriage better. It's intended to make our workplace better. It's intended to make our soul better. It's intended to bring us greater peace. It's intended to bring us greater joy. That God's Word and His life-giving force within us is not for a one day or one hour. It's intended for the 167 of our life. And if we stay there, we will miss so much more. And so we're going to, after the one-hour service, they show us, though, that they didn't stay there. Glad you made a decision, but let's say the highlighted words together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Each day, or every day, they continued to meet. Okay, come on, let's try that again. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And on Family Day weekend... This is a beautiful reminder of the tremendous strength of the church when we go beyond the one and live life in the 167 together. Not only 2,000 years ago, but for Vancouver today, for Surrey today, for Kamloops today, for Kelowna today, for our nation today, for the church today, for the married today, for the single today, for the person who's not sure which way is out, that today, that the word is again today, together, together, together. 3,000 saved didn't stay there. They said, we're going to take a step forward into another place of together. The service was over. They didn't just head off, see you next week. They went from there, devoted themselves to the teaching of, of the Word of God and began to do life together. They were eating together. They were praying together. They were helping one another together. They were meeting in homes together. They were meeting at a worship service together. They were sharing their story together. But too often in our culture, the Western church has reflected our culture and has been isolationist, has been individualistic, and not been family, not been together, not has, been, has not been a, a family of, of, of God moving together but has been instead isolationist. Instead of challenging our culture and offering a different narrative and showing a different way, we have lived the same as the world around us. And we feel alone and we feel isolated and we feel frustrated. And we're facing life alone in the 167. But too often, 2019 Christians are eating alone, we're praying alone we're struggling alone, we're in our homes alone, we're worshiping together irregularly. Too often church has been about attending a one-hour service, and so many people rarely experience the power that's in the 167 of together. See, that Jesus intended that the church would be a family moving together, To and but too often we haven't, and what has happened is that people have Fled the church not because they didn't like it, but because it was not what it was said it would be. It was not. Instead of being a place that they saw their suffering alleviated, it was like they weren't even there. Instead of being in a place where their family could be restored, it's they there. Nobody noticed. Instead of being a place where uh, the they could see and integrate the power of Jesus into the pain of their story, it was isolated and alone. And the church is too often lifeless and alone. And it's not pointing a finger at any one person. It's simply drawing the attention to we have a different narrative. We have a different story in the 167. And we can offer to each other and we can offer to our culture a different way of living that's incredibly powerful, that's incredibly life-changing, that's together. And these people, 16 different nations, it says they were devoted to each other. And when I think of devoted, I think of three words it was intentional, it was sacrificial, and it was consistent. There was a time in my life that I knew Shanda, and she was just another girl. And then there came a time where we were dating, and suddenly I was devoted to her in a different way no cell phone. So I would sit at a payphone, pay my quarter. And call her just a little ways away. I call her and sometimes talk for two hours. I don't talk to anybody on the phone for two hours. For any reason. But I was devoted to Shanda. I have a stack of letters in my drawer. Beside my bedside table. Don't go look there. But there's a whole bunch of letters that when we were dating, I wrote to Shanda and Shanda wrote to me like tons of them, like a stack that deep because I was devoted to Shanda. I went without sleep. I would go home from where I would go to college until about 12. I would eat lunch, and then I would work from 1 till about 9. Then I would come, and I would usually try and be able to get to see Shanda for an hour or two, get home around 10 and do homework till around midnight or 1 and get up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning and do it all again because I was devoted to her. That's what devoted kind of gives you a little picture of. It's something that you don't just say, oh, I'll do it if i got time. But they were intentional. They were sacrificial. And they were doing life together. And they simply put Jesus. It wasn't another thing they had to do. Because remember, the church is at the center of everything. So they put Jesus at the center of everything. And everything revolved around that. My schedule revolves around that. My work revolves around that. My relationships revolve around Jesus. Together, it's not just with you in spirit, together. Not I'll listen to a podcast by my favorite preacher and call it good, but together. Not I'll struggle alone, but together. Not I'll tune into a YouTube preacher, but together. Now, the internet and the podcasts and YouTube are all incredible substitu- or supplements to the Christian life. But they are not substitutes for the Christian life that's meant to be done and lived together. It's not alongside. It's not next to. It's not virtual. It's together. And I recognize that in some places that's all they can get. That's not the, the case in Canada today. And don't substitute a supplement for the real thing. Doing life together. And this group of people did life together. Do you know some people know how to do life together way better And in a way more intense way. Uh, We were in Fiji a number of years ago. And after church, the church was going to go to the beach. And so there was one church van and not many other vehicles. And so we picked up a few. They picked us up. And there was already in this like nine passenger van, already probably five or six people in the van. And our five people of our family got in. I'm like, okay, we're good. Every seat's taken. Not in Fiji. Okay. We went. We went. And we would stop every so often. We just got to go over here to this place. Three, four more people would drive, hop in. Then we'd stop at another place. Three, four more people hop in. And we got tubes in there uh, for the beach. We got everything. And we were like jammed in there. And by the time we got all the people that we were going to get in, we had, I think, 29 people in the van. <laughs> like you were closer than you ever wanted to be to some people. And so we saw, funny enough, we saw a police roadblock where they were doing checks. So with inside of the police roadblock, like 20 people got out. (laughs) Like nobody saw it. 20 people got out. We drive ahead. The policeman looks at everything. Looks in the vehicle. Thanks, guys. Waves ahead. We go past the roadblock by about 50 feet. 20 people walk up to our car inside of the police officer, and we get in and drive on. And if you've been to Fiji, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They know what together is all about. See, doing together is not just when things are going well. Because it's actually probably when things are not going well that we need together more than ever. Doing life together when shame and anxiety have overwhelmed us. Doing life together when all I've got is KD and hot dogs. Doing life together when we have a miscarriage. Doing life together when you lose your job. Doing life together when you celebrate a birthday. Doing life together when your house is cluttered. Doing life together when you retire. If you retire, Grandma. That's my, my mother-in-law. I, she says she's going to retire. I don't believe it. But if she does, I'll buy you a presents, Grandma. Okay. The mundane, the exceptional, the victories, the defeat, together. But do you, where do you think the church learned how important this was? Why did the church live like this? Because they could have done their duty and gone on a Sunday or whenever their church temple time was and said, I, I'm good. But Jesus' main place of discipleship and evangelism was a table, was community, was together. Think about it. One commentator said this, Conversing over food and drink is incredibly central to the New Testament. Just about every other scene in the Gospels is around food. Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners and tax collectors because he ate with them. And sinners and tax collectors, that was the people nobody had anything to do with. He consistently ate with them. They called him a drunkard and a glutton. Why do you think they called him? Not because he was, but because he was always, wherever the party was, that's where he was at. He was where people were at. He was not isolated in a room, in a building, one hour a week. He was in his work-a-day world, in his neighborhood, in his friendships, in the people around him. He was in and doing life together. He shares his teaching and food with 5,000 friends. He eats with Simon the leper, who everybody else would have called unclean. He ate with Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector and nobody wanted anything to do with. He ate with Mary and Martha. He ate with the religious elite. He ate with... people. And obviously, Jesus uh, was used to conversing over food and drink, and he used it as a major tool of seeing life change happen in people. You know, sometimes I think we complicate following Jesus. Doing life together is simply bringing Jesus into the center of your life and letting him affect everything. How many of you eat? Some of you, yeah, some of you. For the, re- for the rest of you who are eating manna or whatever it is or air, like I don't know, but we eat approximately three meals a day. Some more, some less. A thousand and ninety-five a year. A thousand and ninety-five. And what would it look like if instead of trying to live life in the one six seven in some random space, going up to random people trying to impact their life for Jesus, you just every time you eat dinner try to add somebody. To to the table. Try to bring somebody closer. As my friend and Horizon church planter, Carl Amuzu says, the table becomes a metaphor of how to do life in 2019. The gospel was no longer just a pulpit thing. It's also a table thing. The gospel was no longer just a temple thing. It's a together thing. The gospel is no longer just a me thing. It's a we thing. Together is God's plan. Psalm 68:6 6 says this, that God sets the lonely into family. His plan is not one hour on Sunday. It's 167. No matter what you feel like, no matter your relationship status, you become part of a new family when you surrender to God. You might not feel like you fit in, but you're family. You might have arrived in the door this morning, but when you are here, we welcome you to be a part and to sit at the table. You're included you're welcome, and we don't get it fully in our culture today. But when you look at this culture, uh, this passage, we see that this widely diverse group—the single, the immigrant, the citizen of every culture, every tribe—the one struggling, the one with all together family together—not isolated, not three thousand, just individual stories, but people living and doing life together. We fit around the gospel table. There's no insider and outsider. There's no Black and white and brown person, there's family. Around the gospel table, the people that we might want to exclude, Jesus invites to the table. Around the gospel table, the people that are not even on your radar might be sitting next to you. On the gospel table, God does something that's incredibly powerful and it gives space. He gives space around the table, both literally and metaphorically. To heal the pain of the brokenness of our culture. To heal the brokenness of families that's been devastation. The table is a place where we hear stories and we tell our story. The table is a place where we hear and we are heard. The table is the place where we give and we receive. It's where we're praying. Prayed for, and it's where we pray. We love, and we receive love together. In the 167, this is the gospel story. Together. It's not just for the expert. It's for the regular follower of Jesus, for anybody who ever sits at a table as a follower of Jesus. Suddenly, your regular, your everyday becomes a ministry spot. Suddenly, your regular, your everyday becomes a place where God can flow through you. And you just open the door and give space for God to move. It's not somebody where you have to come and beat somebody around the ears with a Bible tract. It's not just for the found, but the table's for the person far from God. Jesus was gathering people around the table all the time because you will never influence a table that you're not at. People will never hear if you don't have them at your table. All together people close to God, people who feel far from God, sharing food, sharing drink, whatever skin color, whatever the cultural background, the gospel table, is incredibly inclusive. And Jesus invites us all to that table. All through the book of Acts, we see life being lived out together in the 167, where words spoken over food, in homes, in a shared life together, where a table becomes an incredible tool, of discipleship and evangelism. Because in this, in a book, Meals with Jesus, the author makes the point that at the table, together means that the marginalized cease to be so. At the table, the lonely cease to be so. At the table, the stranger becomes friend. At the table, the lost are found. Divides are bridged. The hurting are comforted. Bible says in Ecclesiastes that two two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And our bottom line today is that the strength we need as individuals is found in doing life together. You're not meant to do life alone. You're not meant to figure it all out, struggle it all out. And it's not always that everybody else reaches out to you sometimes you reach out to other people it's why we have things like groups that we encourage you to be a part of a group horizonfam.ca. and you can find a group and be a part of it that's why we encourage you to get involved in serving so that you get to know and be known it's why tonight today after our service we're going to have a family lunch not because we have no food to give any other time but simply that every so often we need to remind ourselves that we're in this thing together that we can be an incredibly prophetic statement to the world, that the world doesn't have to be as you experience it. It can be different when we do life together. The strength we need as individuals is found in doing life together because there are some battles you will only win when you do life together. There are some plus ones that will only come to Jesus when you do life together at a table before you ever invite them to to a service. There are some blessings you won't experience until you do life together. There are some levels of courage that you will not find until you do life together. There are some depths of wisdom we only find when we do life together. There there is greater joy that we will only find when we do life together. The strength we need as individuals is found in doing life together together and we hear we read in that story what happened what was the effect said that miracles were regularly happening Miracles were regularly happening. They didn't happen in isolation. They happened in community. They happened in together. People were aware of needs. People's hearts were for one another. People were praying for one another. People were believing for one another. People were standing for one another. People were encouraging one another. People were saying, you're going to make it. You're not going to You're not going be overcome. You're going to be able to do it. Hey, you blew it today. I'm helping you up. And we're going to step into something new tomorrow. And today is a new day there were people's needs being met. There was gladness and sincerity. There was not a hypocrisy. There was just everybody, not in a group of 3,000, but we're in groups and meeting in homes and going to Starbucks and having coffee and sitting and going to Ricky's early in the morning and praying over situations of life and laughing and Inviting your neighbor to, instead of just having a family birthday party, you're inviting your neighbor and maybe your friend and all kinds of ways and stories, the incredible power of life together. And in the middle of it all, we sometimes look at this as this passage as how we do life as a church, and we all keep care of each other. But it says this, it ends with this: and basically, every day, people were giving their lives to Jesus because it was a statement to the culture. Those people, and Jesus said this, you will, they will know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Because in, in the world, everything comes with an angle. It comes with a s- string. I bought a coffee for somebody in the line behind me at Starbucks a little while ago, and she looks at me and she says, what's the catch? She was just studying over in the corner. I said, study hard? It's just it's a catch. She didn't know what to do with it. And when we do life together, we'll find a strength that we didn't know we had. You will be able to go through things that right now look absolutely insurmountable. See, together makes... Your joy more intense because there's somebody to share it with. Part of the reason why we have Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff because it allows us in, in some way to share our life with others. We want to know and be known. But every day, people coming to know Jesus. Imagine what life would look like if we did life together. I'm thinking of your friend. You're plus one, and we remind, we encourage you to have somebody in your life who is far from Jesus that you will love, regardless of what they do. That you will love and pray for. You will intercede for them. You will invest in your life, their life, and you will invite them. But probably the first place you need to invite them is into your life, not to a service, to your life. Cook some bad food. Invite them over, and laugh and tell stories. And just do life. But because uh, all of us can do that, I can make bad food. Because actually, people are more hungry for relationship than they are for more food. Even if it's bad, they'll eat later or claim that they're gluten or something, but they don't eat. Yeah, I don't eat that. You told me you did. Yeah, but I just stopped. Imagine the shame of marriage failure, or struggle, being broken, because people are able to sit in a place where they feel like it's safe. Lowering of anxiety because you have someone safe to talk to and they're praying for you. The strength for the battle because there's someone supporting you. A greater level of joy because you took time to laugh and eat and do life together. The strength we need as individuals is found in doing life together going to give you a real easy in a moment to be able to do that but talked about becoming part of the family of God and it's if you if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ you can know about God you can be in his presence and not be part of his family not because he has put up a barrier but because sin has separated us and Jesus the Bible says came died and paid the price for our sins rose again to break the power of death and hell so that we could be reconciled to God. It's good news. It's the good news that Peter preached. He said it's good news for everybody. For, for, though, for you, your children, for people who are far away. So if you feel far away and you don't know God in a personal way, you say Jesus in your own heart and in your own words I ask you to forgive my sin, come into my life and lead my life. And just like those 3,000, if you pray that from your heart and confess Jesus as your Lord, just like those 3,000s, a moment will begin in this one hour that has the potential to change every other hour of your life. And then there's all of us in whatever state we're at. Stay for lunch today. But can I just challenge you a wee bit? Have... The people that you know, and pull one or two people in that you don't know. I wanna, I wanna know your name. I, I just, what's your story? And they might go, none of your business. And you're like, all right, good curry. Let's keep eating. But our world needs to see life in the one six seven be different. And the strength that our culture needs, the change that our culture needs, the restoration that our culture needs is not because we got it all figured out in here. It's because we live differently out there. Stand to your feet. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to do life together, that we don't have to live isolated alone, that... Lord, you will help us to take steps, whether it's to join a group, whether it's to call a friend, whether it's to invite a neighbor over, whether it's to have coffee with somebody, whether it's to stop on the way to work and meet somebody for breakfast, whatever it would be, that when we look for and seize opportunities to be healthy and strong by doing life together, in Jesus' name, amen.